just a fantasy. That's what it's about this week. Fantasy and reality in the mix and getting surreal. Welcome. This is the Fright Club Podcast. I'm George Wolf. I'm Hope Madden. We are from MadWolf.com, and we are back live at the Gateway Film Center. Yay! Right here on uh, High Street, <laughs> Columbus, Ohio, where they have some very pungent soap. We were just, I was just inviting Hope and everyone in the area to smell my finger because... I had been to the bathroom, and the soap is so lovely here. <laughs> so I just had to give a shout-out. In addition to, they have, if you haven't been to the Gateway, first of all, what's the deal with that? <laughs> and second of all, they have these great art displays yeah, out in the hallway. the gallery. And they just changed it. At least this is the first time that we've seen the new one. Right. And it's, uh, the artist is Dave Gentili, I think is his name. Hope I'm getting I want that, the birds one. Yeah. FYI. They, they're very cool because they're all... Uh, depictions of locations in movies without some of the identifying yeah. you know, marks like any marquee or anything. So they they have uh, the birds, they have like High Fidelity, North by Northwest. So it was very cool. So a little shout out cool. to that. So uh, yeah, we're back for Fright Club Live. Uh, this month's edition, going to talk about our favorite surreal horror flicks and of course watch one. But uh, since last we talked, we got some nice feedback on the best of 2016 list. We want to thank again Bridget, who's here from tonight. who's here tonight from Columbus for co-hosting and arguing vehemently and about. B- before we uh, before we turned the mics on, she did a little comedy show, which was nice. That's right, she did. She's a she was a warm act. act. Yep. But yeah, we did. We got into a little little bit of back and forth, little argument on the list. Although here was my favorite thing: one of the movies that she had on the list that we had not seen is Frankenstein created. Bikers, bikers right. and we hadn't seen it, so we said, "What's so great about it?" And she's like, "Boobs." <laughs> Well, so George is, good, is all about um, it. Yeah. He's in. <laughs> it's up there. But uh, since then, one that she had not seen that was on our list was Blair Witch. wasn't on Witch. our list. We just mentioned it. It was we not mentioned in our Blair top Witch, ten. Yeah, although we did enjoy it. She did not. So we, And I guess that's being polite. So uh, we got in a little back and forth on that. But uh, thanks for all the great feedback. We had a couple. So Brandon wanted to see The Invitation, which was really good. And then uh, John wanted to see Baskin, also very good. Yeah. But you know what it just comes down to? 2016 was an incredibly strong year for yeah, horror. Yeah, and that's what we said. There, there were And Train to Busan. We didn't include Train to Busan, that's and a right. lot of people wanted that. That was, was the biggest complaint. It was a really good a year, not only for the, the independent films, the foreign films, but some of the mainstream ones, like Green Room. Mm-hmm. You know, that was a little more mainstream. It was a great year. Don't Breathe. That was very and mainstream. Don't Breathe. That was awesome. Yeah, yeah. So hopefully 2017 will be as good. We hope so. But uh, So we kind of put the word out. We put this month's topic to a vote. Right. Yeah, because I, we knew we were showing Gozu, and um, I was going back and forth between two possible topics. I'm not going to say what the other topic would have been because it'll kind of hint at the plot, like there is one, but at kind of the themes, I guess, of Gozu. <laughs> so I won't say what the other potential topic was, but Surreal Horror won by, well, honest to God, unanimous. It was unanimous. <laughs> so thank you. Thanks for all that feedback. So we'll get into it. We've got five on our list, and... Some others to mention that didn't make it that we'll get to. Is that right? Well, kind of, sort of. One of the things, I mean, so surreal horror, uh, like I always feel like everybody's first experience with horror is a nightmare, right? I think that's your, you know, your bad dreams as a child. And I think that um, horror films are fundamentally based on that concept. But I think surreal horror, is, oh, which is a weird idea, is almost like a literal representation of that. And um, and it's I getting think deep in here, it <laughs> kind of started right with Salvador Dali and Louis Buñuel with oh yeah with I can't pronounce it I don't speak French it's about a dog and some eye slicing no it's called <laughs> uh, uh, Un Chien Andalou which is probably 
really very a Midwestern pronunciation of that. But that's a very cool film, and I'm a big fan yeah, of Valley yeah, anyway. Mm-hmm. And I remember getting to see that. I was very excited. And it's very, very surreal, as yeah. much of Dolly's artwork was. Right, and not really a horror film. It's just 17 short clips, but yeah. they're so bizarre that you, and certainly the eye slicing one. Uh, yeah. But I mean, I think that's kind of one of the one of the originals. But also, whether he does it on purpose or not, Lucio Fulci, I think his entire catalog is more or less surreal. I think if you look at it like that, you go, "Yeah, these are high quality." If you don't look at that, you're like, "The fuck." <laughs> so, um, <laughs> but I mean, I think you know one of the reasons I bring this up just because we landed on five because fuzzy math. I'm limited to six, and I had seven. So I'm like, "All right, we're just going to cut two out." Gonna, Seven can be fuzzy too. Well, but, but the podcast, I mean, right. the, the live episode, we try to keep it thirty minutes. So, that's right. So, anywho, you're going to get five. Is what All I'm right. Saying. So we'll get to five, and we'll start with one. It's a story about a drifter obsessed with the supernatural stumbles upon an inn where a severely ill adolescent girl is slowly becoming a vampire. It's from 1932. It's called Vampire. This one is definitely surreal. In fact, even though it came before him, it reminded me a lot of uh, some of Ingmar Bergman's movies, uh, the way it plays with light and shadow and just very, very surreal. Almost, it's it's not a silent movie, but it's it, it has some of those earmarks. And, and I also think, so, so he had just done Joan of Arc. The director and, is... Yeah. Theodore Dreyer. Right. And he had just done, jo- done Joan of Arc, which is kind of, I think, his most famous film and gorgeous. And you can see it... All throughout this film, especially in the way that the the teenage girl, the the main victim, the way she's framed and the way she looks at things, it makes it it gives the whole thing sort of a heroic, weird supernatural air. One of the things I like about it, Alan Gray, our star, he shows up at this supernatural. He's just got a fishing net (laughs) the whole time. They never explain what he thinks he's going to do. With this fishing net, it just, I'm like, you're ill-equipped for this adventure, Alan. I don't understand what you're doing. He doesn't understand what he's doing. Right. But, I mean, the whole thing is so, it's so weirdly dreamlike. And then the, you know, the main antagonist, it's like this old hag. And then, like, halfway through, you're like, oh, wait, is that a dude? And like, no, it's, it's a grandma. I have no idea what that is, but creepy. It's, um, it's just this really visually alarming and yet sort of soft focus beautiful nightmare of a film yeah and he in order to achieve some of that that dreamlike photography he put a thin thin gauze was put in front of the lens as a filter and you can kind of see that that effect that he gets throughout the movie and it's funny you mentioned some of the actors i guess there were only two quote professional actors in the film everybody else was just people he picked up on the streets of paris to put in the movie interesting yeah which everybody just seems like you said yeah, he clearly it's, just, just picked just them weird. by look. Yeah, yeah, very much so. And, the, and it has the whole thing, start to finish, has that very dreamlike, surreal atmosphere, which is perfect for this countdown. And that is that number is five, number five. The uh, the other one that almost made this instead of that, I really went back and forth and back and forth a lot. Was Hour of the Wolf, Ingmar Bergman? You mentioned mm-hmm. Bergman earlier, um, and it's a surreal film. It's not to me. I don't think it's necessarily a horror film. Kind of a horror film, but we've talked about it recently and. I just think of the two. I don't think we've ever talked about Vampire before. And it's just um, between the two, if you were to watch Vampire beginning to end, you would see so many things that you've seen again and again and again in other horror films that he did first. Like so many things. And I thought, well, that's the one that we should maybe shine a a light on because I think probably 
as old as it is, not that many people have seen it. Yeah, so that's a good one to start with. Uh, moving up to number four, one we have talked about before, one of our favorites. A woman starts exhibiting increasingly disturbing behavior after asking her husband for a divorce. Suspicions of infidelity soon give way to something much more sinister in possession from 1981. Two men and a woman no man could ever possess. Sex with bloody mollusk monsters. Wait, were we? <laughs> this is such a freak show, this movie. And you know, I don't is. think anybody is really caring for Bob properly. That's what I think. Yeah, the boy. Maybe of all the characters, the one that drew my attention the most was Heinrich. <laughs> the guy that she's. You know, if you don't know this film, uh, Sam Neill and, and Isabella Gianni play uh, doppelgangers who uh, one pair is married to each other and their, their marriage is deteriorating. And really, the entire film is just this very bizarre look at. The deterioration of a marriage, but um, and Isabella Johnny is absolutely breathtaking. She is. She's fantastic in a, in a really sort of unforgiving role. The camera is always, as you saw when the extended takes, the camera is always right in her face, and she's she's asked to be insane and emotional and super weird. Well, she won Best Actress at Con that yeah, year. Yeah, she was. She's brilliant, and she's she was brilliant. Uh, has been quoted as saying it took her years to get over playing this part. Oh. Incredibly demanding. Um, they're both. They're both fantastic, and yeah, the one guy that she is uh, going off with, Heinrich, the whole character is just nuts, and it just adds to the the surreal quality of the movie. And even though very weird things happen, like you you mentioned the mollusk, yeah. the mollusk monster, mm-hmm. the more you get into it, you can you can kind of see where it's. I think it's not that hard to decipher about what's going on. No, I, mean, I think the, you're right. The screenwriter has was writing it. When he get was when he was getting over going through a divorce and getting over divorce, and you can definitely see those themes about marriage and about not maybe knowing your partner or ha- having forced to feel like you have to become someone else, things like that. All these types of intimacy issues in a marriage, I think, can be seen in the weirdness of this movie. Yeah, and in this film, and 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 in a lot of the, the movies we were thinking about for this list. Um, and I think a lot of it is because so much of surreal uh, horror filmmaking is really kind of uh, an attempt to understand nightmares and where your own brain goes in the nightmare. There is just this queasying sexuality about this entire film where there is so much sex and the whole time you're like, <laughs> not of um, the titillating variety. No, I know. Really far beyond. No, but not at all. There is enough that the film was initially banned. In the UK, it was just approved. Oh, nasty video. They are such prudes. Yeah, but it wasn't even approved until 99. Oh, my God. Uh, which is pretty pretty recent to approve it because it is. It's weird sexual issues, and you find out basically the two doppelgangers are sort of idealized versions sure. of the, the other's expectations of a partner. Um, so look at this uh, series of images. It's possession, 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 Darth Vader. Huh. He's everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and that is uh, that is number four. 
from 1981 possession. Moving up to number three. I don't think we've talked about this one. We have not. Either. I avoid Roman Polanski. And it's when a good I can. one. It's a sexed, repulsed woman who disapproves of her sister's boyfriend, sinks into depression, and has horrific visions of rape and violence in Repulsion from 1965. This is Carol Adieu, young, beautiful, desirable. Men found her irresistible, but something is happening to her. Something that she doesn't quite understand. And soon she will be swept up in a frantic fury of repulsion. (coughs) Repulsion, a frightening film that takes the everyday world and distorts it. Repulsion, a film with very specific voiceovers in the trailers. (laughs) Repulsion. (laughs) We were just talking about censorship in the last one. How about this? This features the first depiction of female orgasm to be passed by the British Board of Film Censors. Prudes. Even though it was sound only. Just sound. That's all they would approve. Right, because because catatonic Catherine Deneuve is listening to her sister, and it's one of the things that she finds repulsive. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And this is, as you mentioned, Roman Polanski, who... Every time we mention Roman Polanski, obviously he's got his issues, and we are not really... We're not having him babysit. That's what we're saying. Right, exactly. But we're just focusing on the uh, the filmmaking aspect. And this, uh, I guess a lot of people, you, you can understand, it's been compared to Psycho in some ways. But, sure. But this one is more of a an inward look about going mad in, in, as opposed to an outward acts of Norman Bates' violence, which you don't get into his... A psychosis till the end. One of the reasons, actually, that I um, well, it's a really long trailer. I couldn't find any trailers that were under two and a half minutes. But also, I bet the rest of the minutes sounded like this repulsion. <laughs> but I stopped it where I did because this is where I think marketing uh, went really took a hard left away from the actual plot of this film. Is that uh, when the film was marketed, it was you know uh, a virgin's sexual hysteria, which I think if you watch the movie is not the case at all. I absolutely don't think that that's the reason that she's gone insane or the reason that she. No, that is was splendor kind, in the grass. Is kind of in a catatonic state the entire film um, but I but it was I, I, I let it run long enough for my very favorite scene which is that guy turns around to shut the door and she just comes behind with that big hammer it was nice um, the thing about Catherine Deneuve's performance in this because she's actually gotten knocked from it because she really does just wander around in a daze the entire film but I think that it works because you know right off the bat there's just something not right about her. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when, when these things start to happen, beginning with, if you haven't seen it, there's this skinned rabbit, and it just sits. It just sits for days and days and days, like collecting maggots on her countertop. And you're like, well, well, that's just not right. She really ought to do something about that <laughs> rotting rabbit. Um, but I think that because she you know, single-handedly. I mean, she shoulders like 85% oh, of this yeah, movie. Very much. And, um, and I think does a really great job. I do too. And it is, she's, you're right, she's catatonic, but it helps sell the, the whole journey into madness, so to speak. And we've, we've mentioned this movie, we haven't really talked about it before, but we've mentioned it because it makes up Polanski's uh, trilogy <clears throat> about apartment and city dwelling. Right, with Rosemary's is, Baby and the Tenant. And the Tenant, uh, the Tenant from 76. So this is the third one. Uh, in that trilogy, and it's, uh, yeah, I think uh, Deneuve is great, and it was somewhat early in her career. She made a few movies, but hadn't really, you know, burst out as a, as a worldwide star before mm-hmm, this, mm-hmm. but this was definitely helped. Yeah, it, and she's great in it, and, you know, there are some small performances. There's the landlord who's 
super creepy. And, and he's nicely offset by the guy who's just a good guy, just wants to date her. He's just this nice guy, the guy who gets a hammer in the head. He's just this nice guy who can't seem to get this pretty girl to snap out of it and pay attention to him. And he's very sympathetic, but then at the same time, it, it's, it's great then to see, you know, this lecherous, horrible guy. But I think the best parts of the film are like the hands coming out of the wall, the things where she's just nuts. Mm-hmm. And, you're, and you, you were like, the imagination that it that it took to sort of, I think, animate this particular type of, of psychosis I thought was really well done, even though obviously I'm not a fan of Roman Polanski's. And that's from 1965. Repulsion is number three. And number two, it's the one we're going to see tonight. A Yakuza enforcer is ordered to secretly drive his beloved colleague to be assassinated from 2003 Go Zoo. <laughs> okay, we have snuck away to an empty theater, as we always do, to talk about it. Amongst ourselves, we don't want to give anything away, but you know what? I don't know how much there is to give away about this one except just the capital letters WTF. If there's one word that I could use to describe Gozu, it would be viscous. <laughs> it's 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 really a, a, a buddy. It's a road picture. <laughs> uh, there are these two Yakuza, Miyani and Ozaki, mm-hmm. right? Ozaki is just crazy. He starts out by telling the boss... There's a tiny little a tiny little dog outside that's a trained yakuza killer. And this is just <laughs> just that's just one of the examples of him just doing crazy things. He sees a car, he thinks the car is a is a trained yakuza killer car. Right. And so he the, the order gets put out to whack him and his his buddy Miyani has to do it. Mm-hmm. But then the next thing you know, Ozaki's corpse is gone and Miyana ha- Miyani has to go chase him down. <laughs> And then it just gets crazier and crazier as he tries to find him. And at first, he's really not looking very hard. He basically looks in two locations <laughs> for like an hour until he goes somewhere else. This strange hotel type of place and then this crazy diner where the one guy just talks about how hot it was today or yesterday. <laughs> and then, like you said, it's there's there's fluids and there's <laughs> there's cow's heads and there's just... There's just craziness gozu means cowhead by the way and and we find out that it's very illustrated you know <laughs> there's cowheads and all sorts of other things brought to life <laughs> very literally um but it's it's one of those things that uh, you just can't unsee yes it's true you know the thing for me like at the heart of you know, and he layers on a lot of incredible weirdness on top of it. But the heart oh, we, of it—did we say it's Takashi Miike? Did we say that? It's the, our beloved Takashi Miike. We have to Mike. say that. That's what I you're talking about. And so, if you're if you're a fan of his, you're going to go like, "Oh yeah, of course, absolutely. <laughs> this is totally what would happen." And you know, I mean, there are elements of it that remind me of of Itchy the Killer, but mm. it's not nearly as um, mean. You know, it's, oh, no. and it's, no. and you know, and it's horror really only because it's kind of a body horror. It's kind of a body fluid horror. I mean, gross things happen. It's, it's by no means scary, but as I, when I, I posted our flyer at work, I pointed out, you know, come, come see it. Not too scary. Do not watch it with your kids. I can't, <laughs> I can't say it strongly enough. Do right. not watch this movie it's with your kids. It's not scary. There are laughs. There are silly laughs. Oh yes. But it's gross. It is gross. And so weird. But anyway, what I was going to say is at the heart of it is, I don't know if you have these, I have these dreams where you're in a place, in a town, in it. And for some reason you just cannot get out of it. You just can't. It's like, I, you just, I, I, I'd like to be going i would love to just finish my business and go on and you know and then every time you try to go into the next room thinking you're gonna find your exit some other just fucked up shit is happening there and that's although my uh even dreamy imagination 
could not have come up with basically anything that he comes up with in this movie. And when we've talked about Mickey before, we've talked about how he just cranks out the movies. Oh, yeah, he does. And this one was originally supposed to be released just on DVD, right, but right. it got such positive reception uh, in spring of 2003 that it secured a theatrical release. Right. That's not the first time or last time he's done that. Because right. as you say, I mean, he makes three, four movies a year, and a lot of them are sort of, you know, direct-to-home market viewing, but... Um, you know, he has established such a reputation. And I'm not going to lie to you. Some of his movies are, are crap. But but what's amazing about his output is how wildly different from one to the next a film can be. Like like 13 Assassins. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, just beautiful and, and, and brutal, but hardly a horror film. Just this. But a very strict and a very uh, much more of a straightforward narrative. And Absolutely. And really much more attention to precision mm -hmm. in the filmmaking and everything just so, you know, locked down. Whereas this is one of those movies where he has the reputation of just, just throw it on the screen. Yeah. Just throw it up there. Well, and I think our favorite, uh, I mean, maybe among anyway, our favorite scenes, there's, there's a scene in the liquor store <laughs> where um, uh, the uh, proprietress is an American. And for the longest time, you just see the face of the customer she's talking to as she butchers uh, the Japanese language. And then you see her and she's clearly staring off camera and reading. It's, it's just clear. And so, and it's funny. So Miike works that into the movie, brings the camera around with the lead character and they, they read the lines together. Because that is what worked. the actress it, was doing. That is what she was doing. But it worked in this movie because yeah. the movie is so bizarre. And that's the reputation he has. Just throw it. Okay, go with it. Right. And this one, boy, it has so many of those moments and it's just one of those things. Like we said, you can't unsee it. And that is why we're giving everybody the chance to see it tonight on the big screen. That is correct. So we have to get back in there and talk about number one. But our number two on the surreal horror list, the classic from 2003, Takashi Miike's Gozu. Let's get back in there. Okay. And number one is our hero Harry tries to survive his industrial environment, his angry girlfriend, and the unbearable screams of his newly born mutant child from 1977, Eraserhead. Oh, you are sick. This film, by the way, made it into Gateway Film Center's Cult 101, so you will have the opportunity to come see this entire glorious beast yeah. on screen right here, and we will be in the audience alongside you. Yeah, uh, in case you're unaware, uh, Gateway has just unveiled a Cult 101 film series, which we got to vote we on. We got to vote! A part of the panel, which we're very happy about. And there are some just great, great, great cult movies that... Like Eraserhead, maybe a lot of people haven't gotten the chance to see on the big screen. Right. And this is going to last for weeks and weeks. So, uh, yeah, by the all entire means, year. The entire year. So that would be weeks and weeks. <laughs> so uh, so uh, get the more information on it. Gatewayfilmcenter.org to check that out. But definitely Cult 101. So, yes, very much a cult film. Very much a surreal vision of horror is Eraserhead. Right. And so it's uh, it's David Lynch's first film. And... Um one that took five years, really. Well, that's from because start to of finish. money. He yeah. had no money to make it. But what I think is kind of funny about that is that I don't think you notice that when you watch it. You know, uh, I think in other films you think, "Well, he got a haircut." You know what I mean? Like halfway through, but uh, um, he was committed to that hairdo. He was for committed five years. to that hairdo. Poor Jack Nance. Um, and I think that you can see a lot of 
a lot of what would sort of blossom into David Lynch's, um, you know, earmarks, they start here. Uh, and there are so many things about this movie that are sort of quaint and adorable, like the radiator lady. She's awesome. She's adorable. <laughs> but and then so many things that are almost they're not they're only horrific because they go on for so long. You just like that chicken cutting scene, like Jesus Christ, just cut that chicken and let's just move on. I just cannot cut watch it. this another minute. But well, and, and of course the baby. Yeah, the baby is so you're just staring. oh he's so handsome. <laughs> it it's so weird looking, and you're you're staring at it and wondering what is it? How you know really what is it? How did they come up with this? And there are a bunch of different theory, a bunch of different urban legends floating around about what it really is. And of course, David Lynch isn't saying he's not talking about what it really means. And there are so many, um, you know, theories about about what every little part of it means. But I think it's pretty clearly marked as fears about fatherhood and commitment and marriage. And, and I would say an industrialization, industrialization, and, 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 yeah. you know, sort of stagnation. Um, but it's 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 weirdly comical. And so dreary at the same time. I mean, I just don't think. Eventually, he 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 did enough films that it was almost like, oh, that's very Lynchian, right? But when this movie came out, there was not a single thing in the history of film that was anything like it. And it was a surprise. I mean, it was a cult hit. It's not like it made a bunch of money, but it was immediately famous. People like oh, Rocky yeah. Horror. I mean, it was just one of those movies that everybody talked about, and and cinephiles stood in line and had to travel to New York to see. And, and so many people in. The industry, other directors loved it. In fact, that's how he got uh, assigned, got the job to direct The Elephant Man. Mel Brooks, who was a producer on The Elephant Man, saw this and loved it. Mel Brooks, because The Elephant Man is a laugh riot. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't know Mel Brooks was involved in that he movie. He was. Drunk but, uh, so that led directly to him getting you know, more, quote, mainstream movies. But you're right, very, very influential in so many ways. And, and gorgeous. And, I mean, the black and white, this was this made our uh, best black and white horror podcast oh, yeah. as well because it, it's just gloriously filmed. And one of the things I think that adds to that surreal quality is for the first ten and a half and the last almost half an hour, there's no dialogue. No. It's very, very dreamlike, trance-like even. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of that right there, this. There's a lot of just... <laughs> If you can't that see mug. it, it's Eraserhead staring, <laughs> which is what he does through a lot of the movies. So that is number one on our list of surreal horror. And we've got to get out of here because we've got a movie to show. But uh, as always, uh, keep the conversation going. Easiest way to get a hold of us and chime in with your thoughts about surreal horror, our picks or what we left out, is on Twitter. We are at MadWolf, M-A-D-D. W-O-L-F. And of course, this uh, podcast is going to be up at MadWolf.com here. should be up by Monday. And we hope to see you next month. The next Fright Club Live is going to be Wednesday, February the 8th, right back here at the Gateway. What are we showing? What are we talking? We are showing the last horror movie, which is great and I think very underseen and super, super fun. Uh, and we're going to talk about horror movies about making movies. All right, nice. So that's the next Fright Club Live. Now, in two weeks, we'll be back with another regular Fright Club podcast, and we are going to get Oscar Fever. It's our annual Oscar edition. That's right. It's going to be Skeletons in the Closet. We do it every year because it's really fun. Obviously, right at this moment, we don't know what the Oscar nominations are, but every year, 
every year you can pick probably 10 people who started their career in really bad horror movies. So we always do a Skeletons in the Closet podcast where we choose, like last year, Leonardo DiCaprio, Critters 3, uh, Tom Hardy, Minotaur. There's It's, Always it's good. endless and it's super fun. So, so join be, us for that. Uh, in two weeks, Skeletons in the Closet. Until then, uh, hit us up on Twitter. We'd love to keep the conversation going as always. I'm George Wolf. I'm Hope Madden. And this is the Fright Club podcast. Fright Club podcast.